You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this. You'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, if you've ever gone to a wedding, chances are pretty good that you've danced to a song called the Cha-Cha Slide. But where did this song come from, and how did it become so synonymous with weddings? We'll take it back now, y'all, and find out. There's a famous quote from author Jonathan Swift that you've probably heard before. Everything old is new again, meaning we have a tendency to reuse, revamp, recycle, and revive. Well, except when it comes to naming babies Linda. We've all heard parents say it, and maybe we've said it ourselves. Don't eat that before bedtime. It has sugar in it, and you won't be able to sleep. But is it true? Let's put our biases to the side and see what the research says. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's go. Well, Dave, you and I have both been to a lot of weddings in our lifetime. I think you've probably been to more than me. And uh, when you're at weddings, are you someone who hits the dance floor early and often? Cannot wait for a good reception, a a nice wedding dance. Actually, I need one now. So if anybody out there is about to get married, uh, feel free to invite me. (laughs) I'd love to to dance at your reception. Best wedding song, hands down, not even close. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. So any DJs out there listening... Not only should you play that, play the entire song. So it's also kind of annoying. DJs think they're like getting kind of trendy and cool, and they have all these mix, these like mashups and mix-ups, and so they'll play half of a song and then switch into something else. Especially if you're like getting into it, and then all of a sudden it starts to evolve into something different, and <laughs> it's just like really annoying. Now, do yeah. you consider yourself to be a good dancer? Think before you I answer. Do. I do. No, I, there's nothing to think about. I mean, I've I've seen it. You kind of you kind of have the vibe of like a baby deer learning how to walk a little bit. <laughs> well, that's your opinion. Well, Dave, sadly, last week we lost an entertainer named DJ Casper at the age of 58 after his battle with cancer. And while that name may not immediately trigger anything, I can almost guarantee that at some point in your life you've danced to his most famous song, probably at a wedding or a school dance, a legendary song called the Cha Cha Slide. But Dave, the cha-cha slide was never exactly set up to be the mainstream dance staple song that it has evolved into. In 1998, DJ Casper, whose actual name is Willie Perry Jr. Yeah, I'd go by, I think I'd go by <laughs> DJ Casper too. Well, you know, we, we, we all uh, make choices. <laughs> so he had originally written this song for his nephew step aerobics class as literally just a list of instructions, but it was behind the song Plastic Dreams by J.D., This song, which was dubbed the Casper Slide, could never actually be released to the public because DJ Casper did not own the rights to the music used. As the step routine grew locally in popularity, though, and began to circulate through Perry's hometown of Chicago, I mean, Dave, he even talks about how people were calling into radio stations asking for the Casper Slide, and the DJs are like, what are you even talking about? He took the next step, (laughs) and he re-recorded the song with a live band in the summer of 2000. That recording became the Casper Slide Part 2, better known as the Cha-Cha Slide, and is the version that we all know and love today. 
What spun out from there is the Cinderella story of dance songs. The song became synonymous with school dances in the mid-2000s. It became a staple at sporting events to get fans on their feet in the stands and was featured on countless movies and TV shows throughout the decade. You have to remember, too, that the timing was really important here because all of these instruction-based dances were springing up around the same time, like the electric slide and the Cupid shuffle, and the timing here was necessary for this song to catch on. But even past that, Dave, the song has continued to evolve with the technology that has grown up around it. As social media eras have been ushered in, the song has become the center of dance challenges and viral videos, giving it a second life in this new digital age that we live in. In fact, Dave, the song has reportedly raked in well north of $2 million in royalties over its long lifetime. And of course, behind all of it is the persistence of the song at weddings, even into the modern day. I don't think it's over-exaggerating to say that the song has changed weddings forever. I don't think I've personally been to one where it hasn't been played. But what is interesting to me about this, Dave, is the fact that the song has so far transcended its original purpose as a set of instructions that an uncle made for his nephew. With one seemingly normal act, one uncle changed weddings forever. And I think that's pretty unique and interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the electric slide, though, because the electric slide and I have a a bit of a history because... When I was a kid, my elementary school had this, uh, like, I guess you would call it like a fair. It was a thing on like a Saturday, and, and you would come, and you'd buy tickets, and you could spend tickets to do things like cakewalks. You ever done a cakewalk? Yeah, I've done a cakewalk. Where you're, you're walking around. To, <laughs> it's like Duck, Duck, Goose. You're just kind of I feel like this is going to, to be a regional thing. Like People are going to listen to this and be like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, it's totally like, normal to cakewalk? us. But like someone, you know, in the Midwest is going to be like, these people are insane. But yeah, just, just trust me on the cakewalk. But anyway, you had to spend tickets at my elementary school to do these different things, like the cake walk was two tickets like a little fishing game was one ticket and there was a room where they would teach you the electric slide it was five tickets it was the most expensive thing in the entire place and some kids no joke they just keep doing it they just go they, they, they'd spend like 30 tickets doing the electric slide over and over and over i don't know why you need anyone to teach you the electric slide like the instructions are literally right there that's the whole point now according i don't know if you've heard of this source according to wikipedia uh, electric slide from 1989 to 1999 uh, was listed by Line Dancer magazine as the number one dance song in the world. I'm not that surprised by that. I feel like it's just you couldn't escape that song during that time period. I mean, you can't escape it now. <laughs> now you know who wrote it? Speaking of good names, a guy named Bunny Whaler. <laughs> now, how about this? I'm not making this up either. So, growing up in my hometown, there was a guy named Bunny. And his, his dad's name was Hoppy. I'm not making that up. It was Hoppy and Bunny. <laughs> so ridiculous. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> Jay, way back on uh, episode 53 of Commute, we talked about popular baby names. Like when we were young, the most popular names for babies were traditional ones like Jessica and Michael. In 2023, though, things have changed a little. The most popular names today are a little more unique. 
Elijah and Olivia. That's uh, the number one boy and number one girl name in 2023. So how about you and your kids? Did you want to use family names? Did you want to be original? What was your thought process? Yeah, I don't think we went super hard in the original direction. I think we tried to kind of say, like, we want them to have names that have been around for a little while, you know? (laughs) Like, we weren't necessarily Mm -hmm. thinking, like, how can we change the spelling on this to, like, make it crazy unique or sound totally different or whatever. But, you know, I am a a high school teacher and the kids that I have now are born sometime around 2008-ish. And yeah, the names were going through something in the year 2008. (laughs) Like, and the spellings, it's like, did you have to do it like that? Like, Well, uh, well, Well, we just wanted to use names that we thought were cool with our kids and use names that they would be happy to age with. Yeah, (laughs) that's another thing people don't think about. Like... You know, there's certain, I'm not going to say certain names because like, I don't want somebody to get mad at me, but like there's certain names that sound good if you're a kid, but you think about it on like a 47 year old man and you're like, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if he's going to be taken seriously in the business world, (laughs) shaking hands with that name. But Jay, while popular names are constantly changing as a whole, some names are always pretty popular, like Benjamin, Noah, or I would imagine David (laughs) to be. But other names, like Hazel, go away for a long time, and then seemingly overnight, they somehow become cool again. But Jay, there are a few names, especially one name, that haven't bounced back through the years. Names like Linda. And while the data on names is what it is, the Lindas of the world are trying to do something about that name going out of style. This year, Jay, for the 35th consecutive year, The Lindas Involved in Network Development Association, or the Linda Club for short, met in Niagara Falls with a few simple goals on their minds. To bond with other Lindas and to look for ways to revive the name that was once an American staple. Formed in the 1980s by Lindas of a certain age, the Linda Club features members who pay a $20 annual fee, raise money every year for charity, and support a scholarship to be given away yearly to, you guessed it, someone named Linda. Jay, in 1947, though, everyone knew a Linda. In fact, there were over 100,000 baby girls born in 1947 named Linda, which, according to the Wall Street Journal, was one in every 18. This kind of dominating popularity is unheard of today and has not been replicated. And reporting from the Social Security office backs that up. Last year, Olivia, the number one girl's name in America, had fewer than 17,000 new additions. So think about that. Today, Olivia, the most popular name, only 17,000 new entries. 1947, Linda, 100,000 Lindas. (laughs) There's a scale there. (laughs) And Jay, while Olivia was number one, last year, Linda was number 807. The registry site BabyList scanned over 20,000 baby registrations from between 2018 to 2022. And Jay, get this. They found only two infants named Baby Linda in that time span. (laughs) I had three kids, and I wanted to pay them to name their kids Linda, said Linda Barron, who was at the convention from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It just didn't get done. And much like the name Karen... Linda has had its fair share of jokes made at its expense. For example, a baby named Linda was a joke in a 2017 episode of the sitcom Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where one character said, Linda, that's not a baby name. 
That's a name for an adult woman who worked in human resources. <laughs> so, Jay, will names like Linda have a resurgence like Hazel or Charlotte have? Well, maybe, but probably not. Like, the Linda Club isn't getting any younger in median age. Its current youngest member coming in at the ripe age of 57. They do recruit, <laughs> though, always looking for more Lindas to help spread awareness of the once popular name's decline. But don't even think about trying to join the club if your name isn't actually Linda. Over the years, Jay, a few Melindas have tried to join, and the answer is always an emphatic no. <laughs> hey, they can't be choosy like they think they can at this point. It's, uh, <laughs> it's getting a little thin. Now, I am from a very small town. Not a lot happens uh, in this small town. And so the front page of the newspaper locally uh, is usually not that exciting. But there's one headline that I'll never forget. And I think I've told this on the podcast before, but it's been a really long time. Um, There was a day where the headline said shark sighting in really large letters in the front of a landlocked state. So, of course, that has to be more (laughs) more. uh, you know, information there. Well, you go on to read, it was a picture of a guy at at the pool who had changed his name legally to Great White Shark. Okay, like first name Great, (laughs) middle name White, last name Shark. And uh, that was just what was going on in town. What a commitment. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, this is a free country. You know, just live your truth. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to follow him around? Like a trip to the DMV... Like anything where his name would be in question. He was a local celebrity. I mean, it's oh, yeah. catapulted him to fame. He knew what he was doing. So Dave, you know, friends check in on each other, and uh, you have two young children, one of which is kind of entering that phase of aging out of the toddler uh, phase of life and kind of aging into that in between toddler and and older child phase, which is, you know, I've been there. It can be a little bit rocky. Uh, one through ten, about a four. <laughs> uh, it just just <laughs> depends on the day. There's a lot of action going on over just here. Just draining the time, all man. your energy all day. Uh, just draining it all. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you feel like your kids get more hyper after they consume sugar? Uh, like if you give them like I don't know a, a cupcake or something are they like bouncing off the walls or does it just kind of seem like that there's not really a correlation there? i don't think so I, i'm very interested in this segment because there is a part of me that thinks that i should expect that to happen but i'll tell you when he when my older son really gets hyper is after a bath so you get him out of the bath and you're trying to put his pajamas on he just starts going nuts and recently he's been <laughs> running around going try to catch me old man <laughs> Which is just in such a burn. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we are going to talk about how it's actually been proven more than once that sugar does not lead to hyperactivity in kids. And this is one of those things that when you say to people, you do get a response, right? Like if you say that, it's, well, no, that it does, though. <laughs> you know, or like, well, it might be true for other kids, but like my kid gets hyper when they have sugar. The notion that sugar leads to hyperactivity in children can be traced back to the 1970s when a pediatric allergist named Dr. Benjamin Feingold proposed a link between food additives, including artificial colors and flavors, and hyperactivity. His research gained attention and led to the Feingold diet, which aimed to eliminate these additives from children's diets. But here's the twist, Dave. Dr. Feingold's theory actually did not focus on sugar itself. 
However, over time, the public perception of his research shifted. The blame shifted from food additives to sugar, likely due to a combination of misunderstanding, media, and just oversimplification. So why does this myth persist? One reason is the power of anecdotes. Parents often notice this burst of energy in their kids after consuming sugary treats like candy or soda. These observations, combined with the preconceived notion that sugar is linked to hyperactivity, kind of tend to reinforce the belief. The media has also played a significant role in amplifying this myth. Stories of sugar-induced hyperactivity make for attention-grabbing headlines, and the connection is on display on TV shows, cartoons, and depictions of children in the media. Now, it's important to note that scientific research has repeatedly debunked the sugar-hyperactivity connection. Rigorous studies have shown no consistent evidence to support the idea that sugar directly causes hyperactivity in children. In fact, sugar metabolizes in the body similarly for children as it does for adults without causing sudden surge in activity. So then why do parents still believe this myth despite the scientific evidence? Firstly, cognitive biases come into play. Confirmation bias leads people to seek out information that supports their existing beliefs. For example, a study published in the August 1994 Journal of Abnormal Child Psychology showed that parents who believe a child's behavior is affected by sugar are more likely to perceive their children as hyperactive when they've been led to believe the child has just had a sugary drink. Parents who already believe that sugar causes hyperactivity might overlook or dismiss evidence to the contrary. Second, misinformation can just be pretty persistent. Once a myth takes root, it can be challenging to get rid of, especially when it's been ingrained in pop culture for decades. People tend to remember the initial claim rather than any subsequent debunking. So the belief that sugar causes hyperactivity in kids is a prime example of how myths can persist despite scientific evidence to the contrary and how a storm of different factors can work together to keep a myth alive. So as you know, when it comes to sugary drinks, soda, pop, whatever you want to call it, you know I kicked that a long time ago. You did. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. A, A badge of honor. Now, one reason that I'll never go back to it is I'm scared of kidney stuff. <laughs> well, can't you get kidney stones from like drinking coffee and stuff? I think I, mean, you, I think that. you can, but I don't. Uh, that's not. It, it's only true <laughs> if you believe it, and I don't believe that to be true. <laughs> See, this is uh, what we just talked about. You didn't listen to anything I said. <laughs> the moral of this story is: I have a friend who now he claims this. I I don't obviously I didn't see it, but he claims that he had a kidney stone, and he genetically gets kidney stones. A kidney stone the size of a shooter marble. So a shooter marble is the big marble, not the little teeny normal marble, like the big marble that hits the other marbles. Think about that. Yeah, that's just not true. Like if, Can't if be you true. Google, if you Google imaged kidney stones right now and saw like this is the biggest kidney stone ever, it looks just like a couple grains of sand on a napkin. Like they're so small, but they go through such a tiny little tube that they cause this like extreme pain. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sis and I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. I just know that that train is barreling down the tracks for me like every... Male in my family has had kidney stones.
And it's just, I just feel like it's kind of inevitable at some point that I'm just going to have to take it sometime. Yeah, you keep drinking your sugary pops. No, I don't. I don't even drink pop. I just drink, I drink coffee, you know, I guess that contributes to it, but mind your own (laughs) business. (laughs) All right, well, whatever you want to tell yourself. Except when I'm like screaming in pain, I'm going to call you and, uh, you know, tell you that you were right, I guess, at some level. (laughs) (laughs) 